Um, we're glad you're here. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're joining us online. Uh, last week and this week, we have continued to have some issues with our live feed. So if you get bumped off, um, then we will we'll make it available later. It's just part of the times that we're in. The number of churches that are live streaming now is a, a lot more than it was seven, eight months ago, and some of the infrastructure to make that happen especially with some of our more popular services like Facebook. Um, they're just not able to hold up right now amidst the number of other changes that Facebook is often making. So hopefully it will stay up and you can be a part of that there. If not, we'll make it available um, later. And you can follow along. Um, we've got a little bit smaller group today. It could be a number of reasons. It could be uh, the number of inc- increase in number of cases that are happening in our community. It could also be that we talked about hell last week. So uh, you just never know. You just never know. But um, we are kind of watching as we have been throughout all of this, these last few months about how do we best um, manage. And as we are entering into flu season, we're going to continue to watch. We're not planning to make any changes right now. Um, We're still waiting on kids' ministry, so those of you that have young kids, uh, we miss you, and we know that it's harder to come and and be a part of this when you have little ones, um, which is a good good part of our congregation, a good number of our congregation. So um, we're still waiting and watching. We're hoping that this will kind of die down a little bit, and maybe we'll slowly start back after the first of the year, but there's just no way to tell. Um, until we just see what happens. Um, many of you who have kids in school know that the school systems are also um, beginning to talk about what may be coming as the number of cases in Chattanooga continue to increase. Um, I want you to know that no matter what the cases do, as followers of Jesus, we are not a people to, to fear. Now, there are lots of things we can be afraid of, and I'd be lying to you if I told you I don't fear things. However, there are many things that we could fear that we should not. One of the reasons that we're doing this series on afterlife is to, is to kind of reorient ourselves in the place of what is all of this really about and what is it even for. Uh, you know, as we kind of watch statisticians and people who study the church and study church attendance, um, if you're a pastor or if you're someone who's interested in that and you've gotten on some mailing lists, you've gotten some really negative emails, <laughs> and seen some really negative social media posts over the last few months. The church is falling apart, people are leaving the church, and blah, 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 blah. The number of young people that were leaving the church are leaving the church faster. And I just want to propose this, not out of any kind of malice or um, that I'm happy with it, but just propose a different take. <laughs> and my take is this. Whatever was happening before the pandemic is just accelerating. It's not new. It's not like something drastic has changed. Where we were before the pandemic is accelerating everything. That means if people were walking away from the church, that's accelerating. Um, If you were already prone to being discouraged and depressed, that's accelerating. If you were already struggling in a relationship, you're struggling probably a lot more than you were before the pandemic. It's not that anything major has changed, but the change in our uh, schedules and proximity to each other, the, the issues we were struggling with before are just getting magnified. And as Christians, we can handle that a number of different ways. We can handle it our favorite way, which is ignore it. <laughs> That's our favorite way to ignore these things. Or we can approach it with fresh eyes and fresh ears to see what God has to say to us. And, and one of the ways that I want us to do that, and, and I don't know when this is all going to be over, and I don't have a crystal ball. And, um, you know, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from someone who said they had a word from God that Jesus was going to return. It's going to be the end of the world before the election. Well, you know, <laughs> you got two days, two days for this to happen now um, before if, you know, if we're going to take that. So there, there's lots of ways we can respond, and there's a, been a huge response of this kind of apocalyptic, this is God judging the world and is bringing the end of the world. And I just want to tell you that, I mean, that could be it. But this is not exactly how the Bible describes it. And as Christians, we have to approach life and challenges from the way that Christ tells us to handle them, not from the way that we're told by culture to handle them 
or where we just kind of figure out how to make it easiest on ourselves. We have to go back to what does God say. And when we start talking about this kind of apocalyptic end-of-the-world scenario, there's really a lot of misunderstanding. And so we've spent two weeks on this so far. We're going to finish up today. Uh, we talked about hell last week. We're going to talk about heaven today. And it, it may not be exactly what you're expecting, uh, because a lot of our expectations of what heaven is are not, not biblical. They're very cultural. In fact, last week we talked about hell and that many of our images of hell are really uh, based on popular literature, not really based on Scripture, even though some of that popular literature is an interpretation of some things that are written of in Scripture. For example, this uh, place of burning, and of eternal torture, that's, that's really something that we see in, in, from Dante and Milton, um, Paradise Lost and Inferno, than we really see in Scripture because hell is not talked about very much at all in the Bible. And when it is talked about, it's talking about a separation of relationship with God. And I'm not going to rehash that. If you want to catch what we were talking about for hell, um, what what we kind of ended with is um, a lot of the imagery around hell being such a terrible, torment-filled place is because we don't really know how to describe to people who don't know or want to know Jesus how bad it's going to be at at the end. Like, to not be able to know Jesus and yet be exposed to the reality that Jesus is everything he said he was going to be because every knee will bow, he's here. We looked at, Scripture does not say that God is absent from hell. God will be in the midst of hell, but he will not be approachable in hell. So you can imagine that you're living this life in which you see the beauty of Christ, you see the beauty of God, his love, his grace, and his mercy, and now it makes sense but I now for the rest of eternity can't know you because I've already made my choice. That could be eternal torment. But how do you communicate that to somebody who really doesn't even want to know anything about Jesus? So you might say things like you're going to be chained to a wall and you're going to burn forever and you're going to be tortured with a whip forever. You might say those things to come up with as much imagery as you possibly can for this is really going to be bad for a group of people who don't necessarily think it's going to be that bad. It's very possible that heaven... We have some of those same confusions in which we take some symbolism literally and we miss the whole point of what heaven is. And I would say that the whole point of heaven is what our faith is about, but it's not what we may be thinking. So I want to give you a quick rehash of what we talked about day one. I'm going to do this quickly. So if you if you are like, oh, that's interesting. I'd like to hear more about that. Go watch week one and we'll go more in depth in these things. But in order to understand what I want to share with you about heaven, you have to have a basic understanding of how God's been working throughout all of creation. So let's begin in the beginning. And in the beginning, as we go through, there was God, and God hovered somewhere over this vast emptiness. And he created the heavens and he created the earth. And when he created the heavens and the earth, he created this very special place, the Garden of Eden, that was, is called paradise in the Old Testament, in which man and women walked with God in this incredibly intimate relationship that was what we all know Christ, but we can't experience yet to the same fullness of the degree in which they experienced walking in the Garden of Eden. So I want you to just keep that socked away in your mind that in the beginning, that's what happened. Now, the Bible never says we're going to go to heaven. And throughout history, heaven has been viewed as different places, most often in the sky. And it's this, uh, this idea that when we think about heaven, we look up to the sky and it's a blue sky with some clouds. And, 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 and then some weird cultural imagery has, you know, little cherubs with bows and arrows that shoot people and they fall in love. And, you know, we don't really know what it's going to look like. But uh, in the Old Testament, Hebrews did not think of heaven as that type of a place, like God is in the sky and we are on the earth. And instead, they looked at heaven as kind of this separate realm that was different than the realm of earth, even though they would talk about the heavens as kind of this heavenly, vast expanse outside of the earth. But it was something different. What's interesting is if you go back and you read about garden, the Garden of Eden, you'll find that there are two rivers that are, can be geographically located on any map, and you can go visit and dip your toes in those rivers that are said to border Eden, and they're available to us right now if you want to get on a plane and want to fly over to 
the Middle East, and you want to dip your toes in those rivers. But then there are some landmarks in which we cannot identify in a map, which just makes it kind of weird for us. And and, and after sin and after we have chosen to eat from the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we have substantially and and foundationally changed in the way we we respond to each other and the way we respond to God in the sense that eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil gives us something we didn't have before, which is I can now choose good and evil for myself. I don't just rely on what God says is good and evil. Now we, to some degree, as parents can look at our kids and say, we get it. We get it. Like, I want to impart what I think is good and evil on my kids. My kids want to impart on me what they think good and evil is. And they often don't agree, especially when they're young. But that's what happens in the, when we eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It changes our expectations of ourselves, puts us at the center, and it puts God somewhere off to the side that we can either embrace or reject And as a result, God says, you can't stay in my presence. You can't stay here with me. You can't stay in this place. And so I'm going to cast you out to earth, which is a separate realm from heaven and a separate realm from the Garden of Eden. And I'm going to place an angel there with a sword, a flaming sword, so you cannot get back. We don't know what that looks like. Like, you could spend your entire life scouring the earth looking for some dude, or I guess it could be a girl, and she has a flaming sword and this path that goes through this deep mountain crevasse, and if you can make it through this mountain crevasse, it opens up and there's heaven. I mean, that's where a lot of our adventure lore comes from, that mindset. We're going to find Montezuma's gold, or we're going to, uh, you know, Indiana Jones. Uh, we're going to find this hidden, wonderful paradise. That's what happens in the beginning. Now, Hebrew scholars and, and, and Hebrew people saw God as a thing that could be attained, but yet he lives in this separate place. And so what happens after in the beginning, this new normal happens. And in the new normal, now God exists on earth, but only in the tabernacle, in the holy of holies. And we can visit him, but only if we're pure, because you can't be in God's presence unless you're pure, which is one of the reasons we cannot be in the Garden of Eden. And so as we enter into this new normal now, we have to purify ourselves through a number of rituals and sacrifices and things so that we can be pure before God. But only the purest of the high priests could enter into the Holy of Holies and actually be with God. Now, eventually, after Israel uh, settled in the promised land and built their first temple, now God moved from the tabernacle, which was the traveling tent, into the temple in which now he's in the holy and holy of the temples, in which this is the reason that when Rome came in, they wanted to ransack the temple and said, we, ha- we want to see their God when they entered into Jerusalem. Well, God wasn't there. Jesus. Of course God's not going to be there because in the new normal, what we found is that Jesus was going to show us what it meant to be with God like we were in the Garden of Eden to some degree because Jesus come, becomes flesh because the animal sacrifice isn't enough. Like we can't literally kill enough animals in order to actually be pure. And the problem is, is our hearts are really just getting broken that we needed deeper intervention. So Jesus comes, and, and now he, the Word becomes flesh, and he dwells among us. Now, this is all leading to heaven. We're getting there. It's also leading also to hell. We're getting there. We're not, we've already been there. But and the problem is, is that God can't just ignore our sin and transport us to heaven, which is what some of us are true theology of heaven is he can't just ignore our sin transport us to heaven he is just and he has to deal with our sin and so there's this hell that we talked about last week wasn't really created for us it was created for satan and his followers in heaven to which somehow we are going to experience as well but the scripture describes it as that all those who are in hell will be in the presence of the lamb which is jesus so jesus is in hell and not in hell, which will mess with our theology of hell because what many of us believe is that hell is the place where really bad people go and God is not anywhere to be found. 
You're just going to be punished because you didn't do the right things, you didn't say the right things, you didn't give enough money, didn't show up to church enough. So you're just you're going to hell and you're going to burn and be tortured forever. And who wants that? And one of the things we talked about last week is this is one of the reasons that faith is in trouble in America. Because we are a, be- a believer that America is heaven on earth. God bless America. We believe heaven is, or, or that, that America is heaven on earth. And now we'll do anything to maintain heaven after we die, but there is a difference in running from heaven and running towards Jesus. Now you're going to have to let that marinate a bit. There's a difference in running from heaven and running towards Jesus. I talked about eating broccoli as a kid last week. If you, if you ever showed up to one of our family dinners when I was a kid and there was broccoli on my plate and I was eating it, you may have the mistaken understanding that I liked broccoli as a kid. I did not. I was running from punishment if I did not eat my broccoli. There's a difference in loving broccoli and running from the punishment that I get if I don't eat my broccoli, right? There's a difference in those two things. Remember, we're still remembering back in paradise in the Garden of Eden in which this is what God always wanted for us and is working again to restore to us. So we can't ignore our sin. In John 1, 29 through 30, it says, The next day Jesus, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. This is John the Baptist talking about Jesus. He is the Lamb of God. And in coming and being with us, Jesus breaks the cycle of life and death by dying and living again. So two weeks ago, we talked about, well, what is eternal life? And Jesus says it himself in John 17, 3. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let that sink in. Eternal life is this, that you know God. Now, the problem with some of our theologies of heaven is that heaven is the place in which everything we missed out on earth is fulfilled. Everything that bad happens to us on earth is redeemed. There'll be no sorrow, no more tears, there'll be no more hurting, no more oppression, no more violence, no more elections. Praise the Lord. It is where we know God. This is eternal life. Which brings us to the place of, why would ever anyone ever reject Jesus? And part of the problem that we have in the church is that people aren't necessarily accepting Jesus. They're just rejecting hell. If we go back and we look at the number of times things are, are written about, um, you'll remember heaven is talked about 644 times in the Bible. Hell is talked about 13. But yet hell is a driving factor for many of our faiths. The fear that we are going to be punished forever if we don't cross our T's and dot our I's. Jesus' eternal life is not living in your perfect place where all your dreams come true. It's not this supernatural Disney world. It is the place in which you truly know God. Walk with him. This is a good place for us to stop for a second and recognize that Jesus coming into the earth to dwell was a significant change in the timeline of how God has worked in the world and which he's about to do a, a, a massive change in the way we respond to each other and with him. It is the demonstration of his love and his grace and it also recognizes that we, we broke ourselves when we ate from the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we've continued that breaking ever since. And in the greatest rescue that has ever happened, God himself comes down as Jesus, and he dwells with us, and he teaches us. And he says these incredibly cryptic things like the first will be last and the last will be first. And he, and he says things like, I'm not here to abolish the law, but at the same time, the law is really tripping you guys up. So I just want you to know I'm here to show you what it looks like to live it out. And then in his ultimate gift to us, he dies on the cross so that we can be forgiven. And scripture says that it was only a perfect person that their life was a sacrifice for everyone. And that was Jesus. This is why we take communion. Communion is all about rescue. 
if you read back in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, communion was, uh, was, all, was called the Passover, and it was all about the rescue from Egypt. And Jesus retasked communion and said, it's, a, it's about the greatest rescue of all time, which you think was the rescue from your Egyptian uh, oppressors. It is not. It is the rescue from sin and judgment. Because of my love and grace for you. This is why communion, so why don't we do that? And if you're at home, follow me to home. If you have something, you can take communion, then uh, grab it. Uh, it there, there are no mag- there's no magic to the elements of what we take. If you've got some bread and you've got some orange juice or anything, then grab it. Um, you can do that. If you're here with us in person and you need some, there's some up here on the tables, or you can run back out to the lobby real quick. There's some on those tables there. I want to remind you, these little things are horrible. Let me just give you a little lesson about these things. Um, the, I, the beautiful thing about this is these things taste horrible. And yet God receives them. And I'm so thankful that sometimes I taste horrible and God receives me, right? I'm broken and God receives There you go. There's your corny spiritual lesson about these little things. It's not really corny. It's true. But um, the way this works is there's two layers in the lid. If you pull the little thin, clear top layer back, you can grab the wafer. I'm not as extra what it's made of. Plastic, probably. Styrofoam. Yes, all app descriptions. All right. So let's take this and let's remember what we would have done at Passover meal. Let's take a a, a loaf of unleavened bread and we would have torn it, which is not easy. We would have torn it. And as we tore it, we would remember that this was the body of Jesus that was broken for us so that we could have eternal life, which is to know God forever. So they would take and they would break the bread They would eat it, and Jesus said, take this in remembrance of me. The unleavened bread in the Old Testament represented uh, the fact that their deliverance was so quick that they had to leave with what they had. Their bread had not risen, so they took it so they had something to eat on the journey. And then they would take uh, usually wine, uh, and they would drink the wine in representation of the blood that was shed that led to the final plague that allowed them to leave, which was putting the blood of a lamb on their doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over. This is what finally led to Pharaoh saying, you can go. And Jesus said, but this is, this is now my blood that is shed for you. This rescue is forever. And it's a part of his love his mercy that he has given us. So we take the juice, we drink it, remembering the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. Which, by the way, this has increasing significance as we begin to understand the number of people around the world and throughout history who have followed in these same steps to Remind ourselves, we do this with all believers of all times. This is something we do that joins us together in a common memory and a common prayer of thankfulness and and the common joy that we have received salvation through Jesus Christ. All right? All that leads me up to what I want to talk to you today about. Aren't you excited? You're thinking, he's done. That was good. Short sermon. We get to go. That was my intro. All right. I told you this, and I'm going to go through this quickly. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. This is on version. If you want to follow along on version, you can go back and read this later. The reason I'm giving you so much scripture is uh, often the reason I give so much scripture is I want to prove that what I'm saying is not just of my own mind, but I want you to see that it's coming from God's word. And so if you have any questions or disagreements, come see me after. I'd love to talk about this. We've had some really wonderful conversations over these last couple of weeks with people who have had questions about this. So I'm more than open to do that. The Bible doesn't say that we will ever go to heaven. Instead, the Bible says heaven is going to come to us. Okay? If you question that, go and look, read it critically, and ask yourself, does anything you read actually say you're ever going to heaven? The answer is no, unless you take it out of context outside of the rest of what Scripture says. Now, we see that most directly from Revelation 21. I'm not going to read the whole thing we've read before, but verses 1 and 2 say, Revelation, 
in which I want you to remember John is a pastor, a disciple, an apostle. He is a church elder, uh, and he is the only disciple that we know of to have died of old age and was not martyred. John is a significant voice. John was tortured. He was his he was attempt it was attempted uh, he was attempted to be killed several times in which none of them took. But he is a man who has watched churches in which he has founded begin to falter and struggle, similar to what we're maybe experiencing today. And he is calling them back to their true love, which is Christ. And he is giving this revelation during a time before Constantine, which is important because it is at the time of Constantine that what you profess as a faith and you do freely today open, and we have an organization and a 501c3, and we're able to put a sign on the road and let everybody know to come to church only happens because it began with Constantine many years ago in which he legalized Christianity as the state religion. It was simultaneously the most wonderful things that had happened to those believers at that time and the absolutely worst thing that would have happened could have happened to the church for the rest of all time. Make, make intermingling state government with our faith. Up until this point in which John is reading this revelation, he is watching his people be slaughtered. Now, when we read the Scripture in context, we read it from the eyes of those who were experiencing life at that moment. Let's read this from through the eyes of a man watching the church falter under great persecution leading to their slaughter. Children watching their parents be killed. Parents watching their children be killed. This is the mindset, this is the, the environment in which John's revelation comes to him. It says, verse chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So here we see heaven coming down, not us going up. So there are many views of heaven that people have, but there are three primary ones I want to share with you, and then I want to share with you what, how, the, how the Bible actually describes heaven. And what are you even looking forward to? What is this even all about? And for some, it'll be like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. I mean, that's semantics, but this is what I always thought. For others, it will be like, oh, I don't know. I may be out. Not sure this is what I was signing up for. The first idea of heaven is this kind of escapist idea, uh, views of heaven. Go to the next slide, Jake. The views of heaven. The first one is this kind of escapism that says the world is bad. I get to escape to a good place. I'm just kind of out and gone. <laughs> that sounds good, right? You're in a bad place. You want to get out and gone. It's Monday morning. You're gone to work. You're in a bad place. Hey, you get to go home today. You don't have to work today. You still get paid. Ah, heaven. You know, I escape work. This is good. I'm going to a better place. A second, which is like it, but it's still a little bit different, is the idea that heaven is the place in which all of our hopes and dreams come true. No one ever says anything bad to me or about me. Never mess up. No one I love ever dies. There are no tears. I'm, never, I'm not even upset about anything. There's no anxiety. There's no depression. Uh, there's no going to do a job that I don't like. There's no punishment. There's no judgment. Like everybody are like good friends. Nobody treats anybody poorly. It's the idea that heaven is the place in which everything we missed out on earth is fulfilled. And I would dare say a lot of people believe in this mentality of heaven I had a hard life the things I wanted won't come true maybe when I'm in heaven they'll all come true we even talk about it in terms of mansions which is something that somewhat comes from scripture but we talk about the idea that if I'm a good enough Christian I get a mansion and I joke with my 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 wife and my kids about how I'm getting a bigger mansion than you and stuff like that which is super silly but that's the way some people view it Josh had a great question last week we were talking about after. What about where it talks about the streets of gold and the, the crystal sea and the pearly gates and this, you know, all. But, you know, one of the things we talked about last week was if hell is the absence of being able to know God, being present with God, all of 
hell that comes out of Milton's Paradise Lost and Dante's Inferno is really not true, but is an exaggeration to try to encourage uh, how bad not being able to know God really is? Is it possible that this imagery of heaven, of the pearly gates, is not actually what heaven is going to look like? Or when you see the vision uh, where John is transported into the throne room of Christ, and you have these crazy beasts going around, eyes and arms and wings and limbs and, and, and all these things that are going, maybe those won't actually be there because what John was seeing was what God wanted him to see symbolically, not literally. And perhaps there won't be streets of gold in heaven. But that mentality, when you are living in, you know, in a 50 to 70 AD reality where you've got to wash your feet every time you walk in the door because your feet are dusty and nasty because there aren't asphalt roads. Perhaps the crystal sea is such an endearing image for someone who has great hopes for what is to come because when they go to their watering hole, it is filthy and nasty and you're even afraid to let your kids drink out of it. The idea that heaven has this perfectly pure, you know, we look at that and we're like, yeah, cool. I got that in my backyard. My swimming pool comes out of my tap every time I turn the water on. That's great. Crystal sea, good. Glad you all caught up. But for them, this is not what they're reading. This is not what they're hearing. This is not what John is experiencing. He's saying this is going to be so incredible. It's beyond anything you've experienced before. This hope, wishes, desires, deprived idea, now we're going to be fulfilled, often takes that idea and says, I want a house where nothing goes wrong, and I want to be on the street of gold, and I want to never have to worry about money, and I want to be able to go there, and I'm never sad, and my anxiety is gone, and I'm never depressed about anything. But you see, you can hope and dream for all those things and have zero interest in Jesus. The problem with this mindset of heaven is that there are people that are thinking of these wonderful things that will happen in heaven because of Jesus without any interest in actually knowing, following, being like Jesus. This is the problem where many of us fall today. We want all the good stuff. I don't really care if I know Jesus or not. I mean, I'll say the prayer and I'll get baptized and I'll come to church every now and again. If that's what I need to do to kind of secure my ticket to go to this place where all my dreams will come true, but I don't really want to spend time with Jesus or know Jesus or conform my life to Christ. I don't really want to do those things. And that was one of the reasons we have so much unhealth in the church today and why I believe the pandemic has accelerated the number of people that are walking away from faith is because they were had already, they had never really embraced what faith was. It's just easier and more expedient to walk away now. There's a third idea, and this is the more biblical idea that God is making all things new. If I gave you a minute, you would come up with several verses that pop into your head about places where the Scripture talks about believers being new, about newness. It's newness in Christ, God making all things new. What we see in Revelation 21 that I just read is that this new Jerusalem, new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven. Now, a lot of people don't embrace this idea because it doesn't feel like the earth is a place that can be redeemed sometimes. I mean, look at it. We're destroying it based on you listen to. I mean, turtles have straws up their nose. Why would God ever come here, right? So you kind of reject that mindset and that way of thinking. We also haven't endured deep persecution. We haven't endured... I love Jesus, therefore I, I and my whole family are killed right in the town square so that no one else will want to profess Christ either. They haven't experienced that. Some people that are living today have experienced that, and, and that is where faith is growing so, so dramatically because they have found that the pearl of great price really is a pearl of great price. Jesus really is. To know him, to walk with him, to be like him is really so wonderful and incredible. It just makes it puts every other goal, hope, and dream I have in this world to shame. They find that, and they've accepted it because they know that
He is too wonderful to pass up. The disciples sitting in, in a Roman court saying, you will stop talking about Jesus. And then they say, no, how can we not talk about this thing that we've experienced? It's beautiful. It's wonderful. We take our lives, but you cannot take this thing that we've experienced. He's real. This is real. I won't stop because you tell me to. I won't give it up. Dallas Willard says, most problems in contemporary churches can be explained by the fact that members have never decided to follow Christ. As I look back over my life, first time I was baptized, I was baptized so I could take communion in church. You know that? I, they got to eat crackers and drink juice in church, and I didn't get to. My parents wouldn't let me until I became a Christian. I became a Christian, eight years old, because I wanted to communion in church. Later, in my life, I uh, had this radical experience with Christ. It was two-pronged. One was, you're missing it. And I remember I just I just had a panic attack. I don't have panic attacks. I, I mean, I know a lot of people do, and I'm not, I'm just not a statement about people who do. Like, I'm just saying my body chemistry does not lend me panic attacks. I'm a very fairly reasoned person and my body's not working against me. A lot of people have panic attacks, just their body working against them, their heart rate, their adrenaline, the, just the glands within their system force this incredible rush of emotion that they can't handle at the moment and, and it leads to a panic attack. I, I'm just not prone to that. I'm not, I'm not making a spiritual statement about those who have them is what I'm trying to say. But I had at the moment, it was a panic attack. And it was a, an, and, and it was as clearly as anyone has said to me before, Mark, you are missing it. You're missing me. There's coming a time when I won't be here for you. Now, I think the reason that I heard those words so clearly is because I had heard them because I grew up in church. There was just faced with this moment, a reality that I, what I have accepted is not real. Time goes by in high school, and I'm doing everything I can to have as many friends as I can. And you know as well as I do, sometimes that means you do things you ought not do. I was gripped again by this idea that this is, I, I'm such a hypocrite. I go to church, I talk about being a Christian, I take communion, I've been baptized, but I'll do whatever it takes to be friends with people. It was shortly after that experience in which I said, Jesus, I, whatever. I give up my way of doing stuff. I just want to know you. I want to be with you. And just, just change me. And that began a long journey, which is why our church is called Journey, by the way. Not because of my faith, but because... Uh, this is how faith works. It is a journey. We grow. There are a lot of people that attend church for many different reasons or attend church sporadically for many different reasons. But I think he's right in the sense that sometimes we just haven't actually chosen to follow Christ just like when I was eight and I was choosing to follow the crackers and juice. So where, where am I headed with all of this? I'm out of time, and I've got quite a bit more, so I need to wrap up. Here's my belief. I'm going to give you some texts that will encourage you to believe, as I believe, and then we're going to wrap up. Heaven is moving us back to the Garden of Eden. Now, that's my argument for you today. Okay? Heaven is the regaining of the garden and everything that was happening in the garden. You think, oh, Mark, that's weird. It's crazy. What are you talking about? Luke 23, Jesus is on the cross. He's dying. Next, next to him is a thief who leans over, and this is the exchange. One of the criminals who were hanged, uh, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God. Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, that you're going to heaven.
But Jesus said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, there's only one other place in Scripture that's described as paradise. And that is the Garden of Eden. It's the only other place. Whenever the Hebrews talked about paradise, they were talking about returning to the Garden of Eden. Not necessarily the, um, you know, we're going to all walk around naked and we're going to, like, name the animals. We're going to repopulate the earth. Not that in that sense, but in the sense of how closely we walk with God. Jesus is saying to this thief, you will be with me today in the Garden which is somewhere on earth, because remember, we've got at least a couple of rivers that are geographic places we can go visit today that are described in the Old Testament as bordering the Garden of Eden. But yet there's some part that borders the Garden of Eden that we can't find, and there's no place in which we can go and see and be in that place. And when we understand as heaven as this place in the sky, and we're on the earth, but yet we're kind of in the same realm, there seems to be this weird acknowledgement that instead... God exists in another plane than we do, and yet he comes and intermingles into ours through the tabernacle, through the temple, through Jesus. But there's going to be a time in which all of that is going to be merged, and this new Jerusalem is going to come, and the heavens seem to kind of merge with the earth. No, this is crazy talk, isn't it? This is what the Bible leads us to if we read it. The interesting thing is, is that we talk about having new bodies and we've all put our, uh, unco- you know, unconscious um, asks, God, uh, you know, I would like to be taller. I would like to be better looking. I'm not going to read John 20, Jake. I'm going to skip that one. But this is the place in which Thomas says to Jesus, I need to know, I need to see your wounds. And here is Jesus rising from the dead, still has scars from his death. Which seems to indicate... He carried them with him back to life. I don't know what all that means as far as our bodies in heaven. There seems to be, again, this mixing of heaven coming to earth and making something new. Paul says in Philippians 1, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I'm going to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. But uh, you know, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. But he doesn't actually say go to heaven. He says, I want to be with Christ. For that is far better, but I remain in the flesh. That's more necessary on your account. In Acts chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And this is his message. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from what? Presence of the Lord, which is can be experienced right now, not just when we die. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, Long ago, he is restoring that which was. We also find that heaven is a future, but also a present experience. Like you can experience heaven on earth, not to the same degree that you will experience or, or, or heaven on earth. That kind of belies what I've just said. You can experience heaven in the future, but you can also experience some of heaven now, just not into the same fullness that we will in the future. That's that we, we, we see dimly now, but there's a time we're going to see very clearly the Scripture talks about. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that in the sense of becoming new again. This idea of the new Jerusalem coming down and renewing God's creation and restoring the Garden of Eden that was corrupted by sin. There's this newness in you and this is what i want you to do as a result of this for this for the love of christ controls us because we have concluded this that no that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded christ according to the flesh we regard him thus no longer therefore if anyone is in christ is a creation which is 
the right translation here. It is, he is becoming a new creation. So there's a part of you that's new, but there's a part of you that's ongoing becoming new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who though Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God has reconciled the world, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become, become the righteousness of God. Tell everybody you can about knowing God right now. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Then to kind of wrap up this idea of a heavenly realm, an earthly realm, and somehow they merge, the spaces of heaven and earth will be indistinguishable in this future. Again, Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So we ourselves could be reading them today. It's making all things new. So this is a way more complex topic than we can cover in this morning. My goal is not to say, hey, this is a new, exciting way of viewing heaven. My goal is that we understand what heaven really is. And that only happens for you if you wrestle with these texts yourself and you wrestle with these realities yourself and you wrestle in your time of prayer and your time of reading of Scripture yourself. But I do want to wrap up with this. So how do we exist eternally in this shared space with heaven that's coming that we don't really know what it's going to look like or be like, but it's going to be pretty fantastic? And how do we experience him now? If you remember, Jesus began his ministry with a simple message. Matthew 4, 17, from that time, and that time being from the time right after his temptation in the desert, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is heaven. It's here. It's coming. We can seek to live knowing, loving, and following Jesus in every facet of our lives. We can embrace his definition of good and evil, or we can, as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil has opened up for us, we can choose for ourselves. We can make ourselves the center of the story. Live for ourselves, live for our wants, our hopes, our desires. We can decide what's right in our own eyes. We can do all that. We can seek him. Repenting is saying, stop doing it for yourself. Turn and seek God first. No one who chooses their own path is going to experience this new Jerusalem. There are, there's a push to say there is no hell. The Bible says many places there is a hell. It may not look exactly the way we think it looks, but it says there is a place in which you will be subject to seeing the beauty of Christ because, Scripture says, every knee will bow, but you will not be able to know him at that point. Some have circumvented that and said, well, Everyone would get a chance at some point to repent even after they die, but Scripture does not say that. Instead, whoever chooses their own path will experience their own path. I was talking to Don last week. He made a good comment. The Dallas Willard has also said um, in some of his writings, which is this, that no one will be in heaven that doesn't want to be there. Is a really interesting take that some people may get to heaven and say, I don't, Jesus is here? This is all about Jesus? I don't want to be here. There may be people that are going to church. 
kid on dreams? It's just Jesus? I don't know. This, I feel like this is a bait and switch. John 3.16. This is how we close week one. So we're closing today. Lost it. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order for the world, that the world might be saved him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People have loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We all have a choice. What do we love? What do we value? What is the pearl of great price? Is it our own future? Ability to to chart our own path? Is it to be able to decide what's good and evil in our own eyes? Or do we see the pearl of great price and say, I give up all of myself so I can have all of you? Because if you're doing that, you're already beginning to experience this new creation that's happening. And what you're finding is spending that time with Jesus is so robust and beautiful and wonderful that it it helps you deal with the brokenness of this world. And your hope is that you're just going to get more of that. I want to encourage you, as we seek heaven, let us seek the real thing. And the real thing is this, that as we seek heaven, what we are actually seeking, if we are going to be biblically true, is we are seeking to know God more fully and to resemble him more completely. Father, I thank you for your word and that you have preserved it for us today. I thank you for those who have come before us that you have spoken to, that have shared your words with us. Father, I pray that we would experience uh, Christ in the fullness in which you talk about. And I pray that if we have deluded ourselves into using religion to escape from hell, but not really seek you out, I pray that you would make that clear to us so that we can know you and we can know you fully. I just thank you for the testimonies that we have in this room and those who are watching. I thank you for the testimony of our brothers and sisters in churches all around the world. And, uh, Father, I pray that we would be a people that truly finds that treasure, and we take this ministry of reconciliation seriously so that others can experience this treasure too. I thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy, that even someone who makes mistake after mistake, your son died for me, your love overwhelms us, and we are thankful for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.